Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, I'm Janelle host of the Mauer Report. On the Mauer Report, along with my guest, we will have a conversation where we will share thoughts and opinions. For more information, my bio, past shows, social media links, and so much more, visit Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. And thanks for listening. I want everybody to head over to veritiesapparel.com slash Mallard. Check it out. Uh, save 10% with obviously going via Mallard. Get free shipping. Shirts made in the USA. Great stuff. Conspiracy-minded. I love them. I wear them all the time. That's veritiesapparel.com slash Mallard. If you can't remember that, just come over to Mallard.com. You'll see the big banner ad. You can't miss it. Well, I've, somebody told me they did, and then I screenshotted it and showed them. But anyways, most people can't miss it. My guest tonight is Jen Hobbs, the author of American Hemp, Growing Our Newest Cash Crops So We Can Improve Our Health, Clean Our Environment, and Slow Climate Change. Jen, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. That is a mouthful for a book title, by the way. <laughs> well, to be fair, I only came up with the title, American Hemp, and the <laughs> publisher suggested the subtitle, so... <laughs> so, what, what, what's... What, what I'm going to sound like a stupid idiot here. What's the differentiation between hemp and marijuana? Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, don't know the difference, and um, I feel like that's really, you know, just part of our culture. There's been a lot of misconceptions about uh, both plants. Um, they're both cannabis, but uh, marijuana and hemp uh, are more genetically like cousins, if you want to think about genetics. Um Marijuana has more THC content than hemp. Uh, the THC content is what gets you high. Uh, that's what gives you the euphoric purpose, uh, and that's really the only purpose that marijuana has. Um, hemp, on the other hand, has been used uh, for centuries for all sorts of industrial purposes, from making paper to rope, and now uh, today we can use it to make plastic and uh, all sorts of other biodegradable materials. And... Um, it's uh, defined as having 0.3% THC or less, and with that low percentage of THC, you can't get high if you smoke it. Uh, it won't have that effect on you, um, but since it does contain CBD, it uh, will give you uh, the medicinal benefits of that. Man, you just dropped a whole bunch of great stuff in there that I want to ask about. Sure. Make, making plastic? I mean, because... I mean, plastic, I mean, I see these pictures from the ocean all the time on Facebook, you know, all these uh, environmentalists. You missed the big air quotes if you weren't paying attention at home. Uh, <laughs> you know, everybody, we should do something, we should do something, we'll share a Facebook post. 
Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's really what it comes down to a lot of times. I mean, no one has a a definitive solution for that. I mean, I talk about that in the book. I mean, um, it was, uh, there was a quote from, um, the, uh, uh, from a research group in Britain that said only, uh, that was 95% of the world's total plastic is not recycled, which just blew my mind because, you know, I've always been under the impression that I put this stuff in the recycle bin and it goes somewhere and it gets put into something else, but, uh, apparently, uh, it looks like most of it winds up in the ocean and, uh, you know, now we have this problem with micro microplastics as well that uh, you know they've even found that in mosquitoes and it's in you know that's just in our food chain now so uh, it's uh, it's getting a little out a little out of hand um, with our our level of plastic use and consumption and you know uh, yeah hemp hemp uh, you can make plastic out of hemp there's a bio and it's also uh, more biodegradable that way I had a guest, now this, this is where this kicks me, I, I don't remember who, which guest it was, but he was telling me they're finding microplastics in people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you mentioned mosquitoes, and I'm, now, now I'm, you know, I'm just beyond concerned because mosquitoes are lots more than people. Oh yeah, I mean the, uh, the microplastics are, I mean they're smaller than like a, a like glitter, you know, you think about how small glitter can be. Um, so when we say microplastics, I mean, these are microscopic particles of plastic. It doesn't really necessarily biodegrade the way that we think it does, you know. Um, so, yeah, they find that um, insects, you know, as they're growing, um, they actually just end up having this in their bodies and then of course a fish eats it and uh you know with whatever else the fish has been eating and uh you know that ends up in our food chain um and you know that's it, also being theorized right now that we're getting uh, microplastics in our system just because we eat food that's wrapped in plastic or we drink from plastic water bottles um you know that's that's been the the latest uh, scientific theory as to why we have so much of it in our system. And we put all this plastic in our systems and our trees and our plants, and nothing will decompose eventually. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> weird. I mean, well, well, when you think about it too, a plastic is also pretty absorbent. So you think about the stuff that you know. I mean, there's a lot of different toxins in our environment and chemicals. So uh, who knows what's you know what's been absorbed by this plastic? You know, which is another concern, obviously too. So I didn't bring you on to talk plastic, obviously. I, I brought you on to talk hemp and how we should. Okay, so we all we we've just agreed. We just spent a few minutes agreeing how bad plastic is. So why the pushback from hemp? Why aren't we just doing it and be done with it? Yeah, I wish I wish it was that easy. Um, for the first time in America, it looks like it might you know wind up being that way because of the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, which federally legalized hemp so we can start growing it on a commercial scale, uh, which we haven't really seen in our country for generations. Um, you know, it's a really strange thing. It's been lumped in with marijuana, um, you know, in our, in our laws. Um, you know, 19, in the 1970s, it was put on the Controlled Substances Act as a Schedule One narcotic, <laughs> which is the same classification as heroin. Um, it's, it's Schedule One narcotic is considered a 
a highly addictive substance with zero medical value. And uh, we know, obviously, hemp is not an addictive substance. It's used to make all sorts of products, but that's how our government has classified it for the majority of most of our lifetimes. So that's been, uh, you know, that's been the number one, uh, you know, hindrance of uh, making biodegradable plastic. So... Oh, you know, and now, uh, now there are, I, I talk about it in the book, there are, you know, manufacturers that are starting that process up. And the really interesting thing about it is, um, you know, uh, hemp is usually grown right now for either nutrition or for CBD. So if you're growing it for nutritional benefits, um, you're, uh, as a farmer, you're growing it to take the seeds and uh, from the seeds you can make um, all sorts of you know th- there's all sorts of products that are sold in the grocery store now from the seeds and, and um, the rest of the plant can be used to make plastic so we don't really see like a waste portion of the plant um, because it can be used for so many different things <laughs> so uh, obviously we're just starting out into this but we're so we're probably years away from seeing a noticeable market impact. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, too. Right now, we don't have nearly enough hemp in the ground to really make that huge impact. And obviously, it also depends on, you know, um, what companies are going to adopt this, you know, um, as the way that they're going to make plastic. So it's um, there's a lot of questions, obviously, as far as if, if this is the way that we're going to go. But um, the proof of concept is already there. There are companies that already do this. Um, so you know, it just it just matter. It just depends on how much we really uh, integrate it. So the worst worst moment of your life is coming right now. I'm calling on those genetically modified people to make me hemp trees that grow like feet a day so we can get this all taken care of and save our oceans. <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know. I, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> if, if, if it does happen, you know who to blame. Or all right. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure they're trying to figure out some way to do it. You because, know, <laughs> I, mean, you look, I, well, I mean, you see these plants and you need, we need volume to oh, compete yeah. with plants. Petroleum-based plastic. We need volume. We need redwood tree sizes of this. Well, I mean, luckily the thing grows and reaches maturity in about 100 to 180 days, which is pretty fast for, um, you know, a crop. So, um, you know, you can grow, if you're growing it for that purpose, theoretically, you could grow a lot of it pretty rapidly, just as it is now. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll see if we get to the jack and the beanstalk size uh, fields of hemp. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pour, pour gas on the proverbial fire, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned CBD, and now I've heard about you know the the benefits for pain and all this other stuff. So why are we suppressing that still? Yeah. Um, again, that's it's a really uh, weird scenario because we've known, um, and I mentioned in the book, I, uh, I talk about different hearings that have gone on in Congress where the you know FDA has come in and said, yes, this is a, a medical, um, you know, this is used for medical purposes. Yes, we have the studies to quantify this. Yes, we know it. Um, and of course, the main problem has always been that it's uh, been on, you know, the scheduled one narcotics list. So, uh, when, when something is considered a, uh, schedule one narcotic, uh, it's very difficult for people in the United States to research it. There's a 
bunch of different hoops you have to jump through. Um, and a lot of the, the research that I mentioned in the book is either being done at the state level through a state program, um, somewhere where, you know, the uh, medical marijuana and hemp have been legal, uh, or it, it's being done in other countries such as Israel. And um, I think, you know, we're really going to see a major shift in the way that um, just the medical field feels about CBD in general because the FDA just approved the first uh, drug, pharmaceutical drug, called Epidolox, and that has CBD and THC in it, and it is for rare uh, epilepsy conditions. So um, this is actually... Uh, for children who have these seizure conditions that, um, you know, there's nothing else that will help them. And, um, you know, this was just recently passed. So, you know, when you're, you're talking about all the different properties of CBD and, you, you know, it'll help you with, um, you know, everything from arthritis to literally epilepsy, um, it's a pretty compelling argument for why this plant is so valuable. I wish I could remember all the ingredients in it, but I used to have one of those labels from the late 1800s with, you know, the cough syrup that had heroin, cocaine, and you know, oh, who knows yeah. what. I wish yeah, I had it yeah. in front of me. And you go, well, in 100 years later, well, less than 100 years later, they're all banned and up, up. you know. I'm, just, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here going, well, I don't know. Sometimes I just wonder about people, you know. I guess no testing to too much testing to now we can't get anywhere we need to get because of all of the overcorrection people did yeah yeah and i mean uh the doctors also prescribed uh marijuana you know as a in a liquid form um you know in our country uh and um eventually for pain management you know so this is something that people have known about um and uh you know obviously our modern scientific you know research has proven it as well so it's again just a matter of getting the um, all those you know politics and uh, you know all the uh, all the you know disinformation <laughs> you know having the government finally admit that they're wrong it, is it takes some time. The government admitting on the wrong is that, isn't that yeah. an oxymoron? Um. Yeah, it's very rare. <laughs> well, it seems to usually happen when um, they figure out how they can make money off of something. So if you see, like John Boehner is, you know, he's um, on the board of uh, a major uh, marijuana corporation right now, and he's been going around saying, "Oh yeah, we got to legalize marijuana on a federal level." You know, meanwhile, he spent his entire political career saying the exact opposite. So you know, these people know when it's you know when they start uh, getting benefits from it that they uh, that they're looking for. You know, suddenly the tune changes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm simply surprised because, I mean, you look at a pack of cigarettes now, it's what, $12 or whatever it is. It seems like every time I look, yeah, I don't smoke, so, but it catches, you know, I'm like, when I'm standing in a line at the checkout, I'm like, it's up another couple bucks. I'm like, yeah. ridiculous. But it's tax, and, you know, so I'm just always dumbfounded that they just haven't legalized it and taxed it like they do tobacco. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there are some uh, bills in Congress right now looking to do that. Uh, there's uh, the Marijuana Justice Act, 
and uh, a lot of the presidential candidates right now are are supporting that. Um, and that's a really it's really an interesting bill because it also addresses a lot of the problems of the drug war, um, specifically you know the mass incarceration that we've had. It um, you know it expunges people's records, um, and it also helps uh, these communities. That really have been, you know, annihilated by the by our drug war, and you know, it um, it puts together a package to help them kind of, you know, build community centers and education, you know, systems, and uh, it's a it's it's a really interesting, well rounded uh, bill. So I don't know if it's going to pass or not, um, but it was introduced last year as well. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. <coughs> Yeah, well, hopefully, something. Hopefully, we can get some movement out of them. But you know, eh, anyways, yeah, we'll save that argument for another day. <laughs> um, I'm su- I'm surprised. I here we go. I'm, I'm I'll do it because I'm that guy. Um, I'm surprised more millennials haven't taken this up as their banner issue and just tried to ramrod this through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, yeah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, obviously, everyone's all about marijuana legalization and. People kind of forget about this. I feel like um, it's been really more of an advocacy movement for farmers, um, simply because you know they realize they're looking at Canada, and Canada has been growing hemp since you know 1998 and exporting it, um, and we've been buying it. And uh, farmers are sitting here saying, "Well, wait a minute," <laughs> you know, um, and uh, that that's really been the main movement. Um, and then now that we know all these different uh, purposes for it, that it could be used as, you know, not only just plastic, but for building materials. And we were just talking about, obviously, the medical benefits. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's something that I feel like if you're passionate about anything, you can you can find something to be passionate about when it comes to hemp. You know, whether it's um, helping out with pollution, you know, and with uh, our, you know, our carbon footprint or, um, you know, just looking for better, you know, uh, medications. Um, I mean, there's just so many different things that this plant can do. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think part of it is really just educating people about it, which is really why I wrote the book. Um, I feel like a lot of people know what hemp can do but they don't realize that this isn't theoretical that other countries are doing these things right now and um you know it's it's really a shame that we haven't um taken advantage of it sooner yeah it is i mean because just think of all the plastic we could save from just being created let alone Mm -hmm. cleaning it back up so is there a preferred place that you prefer the readers or the future readers, I guess, the listeners, go get your book. Is it? I mean, I know it's on Amazon and all those fun places, but do you have a preferred place to send them to? Um, well, I know that there's a discount through Amazon. I think it's uh, like 32% off the sale price, but um, you can get it you know, at Barnes & Noble, uh, I think Target.com selling it. Um, you know, it's basically in uh, any bookstore you can, you can purchase it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I would just be happy to get the information out there to as many people as possible, um, you know, to really, uh, explain why prohibition has harmed our country and why it doesn't actually do anything, but, you know, harm us. 
So that's really uh, that's really the whole point of the book. So let's hit the rewind button for a minute, because obviously there's had to have been some events that led you to writing this book and all this other stuff. So what got what was the the genesis moment of get your interest in all this? So I've always been interested with our, you know, strange relationship with hemp and cannabis. I mean, our country, uh, dating back to the 13 colonies, we grew hemp. Um, it's just been our founding fathers grew it, George Washington grew it on all five five of his farms. It's been, you know, something that um, our country, you could say our economy was built on originally. And um, it, it's just once you get into the history of what happened um, with this plant, it's like it, it's it's something that's stranger than fiction. And um, I uh, I got into really researching the plant uh, through writing uh, my previous book I co-authored with Jesse Ventura. It was called Jesse Ventura's Marijuana Manifesto, and uh, we published that in 2016. And uh, that book primarily, obviously, focused on marijuana and all the properties of marijuana. But we also included a chapter on hemp that really went over just a general overview of the plant and why it's different from marijuana and the benefits uh, of hemp. And um, through doing that research, that really is what led me to, um, you know, want to write American Hemp and really expand on that research because it was just there was just so much to say about it that uh, there, it was just impossible to to just include everything in one chapter. Yeah, I was going to say uh, that's how the best books start is start as a chapter, an idea, or back of a napkin, even, and take off from there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and plus, you know, there's been so much new research now, um, you know, since 2016, uh, especially, you know, when it comes to the medical benefits of the plant um, and the way it's been integrated into a lot of our, our technology. So um, I think it's really, it's really quite interesting, too, that, um, you know, obviously, it, this is what I was going to publish it with with the publisher Skyhorse Publishing regardless, but uh, now it's also federally legal, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, it makes it a lot more uh, of interest now that it's legal so people can understand it more. Yeah. And get involved yeah, if they choose to. Um, you mentioned Jesse. Now, how do, that's got, had to be an interesting partnership. I don't know him, never spoke to him, so I'm not, I don't have any insights, but this had to be an interesting working relationship. Well, I've known him now for a little over 10 years. Um, back in 2008, um, I was the uh, publicity director at, at the company that published his book, Don't Start the Revolution Without Me, and uh, I organized his book tour. And then from there, um, I ju I've just worked with him uh, on his, you know, on, on his other book tours, and we got to really know each other really well. And, um, you know, he, uh, he learned about, um, you know, my, I guess, uh, passion for the subject because also because my, uh, husband is a medical marijuana patient and we moved to California a couple of years ago to grow medical marijuana. And, um, you know, he also shared with me that, uh, a family member of his, um, was, uh, you know, sh she had, uh, seizures and, uh, CBD helped her dramatically. So, you know, he had, um, and he's always been an advocate for legalization. Um, so that's really what, uh, 
you know, our, our common interest in this is really what, you know, obviously, uh, made that book ha- happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's a really, he's a really interesting guy. Um, I respect him a lot. Obviously, he was the governor of Minnesota. Um, and he's done so many interesting things with his life. Uh, and he's, you know, he's also very, just a very easygoing, open person, you know, um, and, uh, I've, uh, you know, when I met him, I was in my early twenties, so it was, it was just really, you know, he really had a lot of advice and, um, he's just a very, uh, a very, very good person overall, I would say. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I follow what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause I, I hate to say it this way, but I don't know any other way to say it in the moment. So many people become one trick ponies, you know, mm-hmm. like, you, th- I, you know, you could think of him as a wrestler or, you know what I'm saying? And just leave it at that. Yeah. But he reinvented yeah. himself after that. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of people also don't know that um, he was the mayor of his town before he was governor. So, you know, he and he got into that um, because of an environmental concern. You know, the the city, um, it was a, a Brooklyn Park. The city wanted to um, uh, put in these like I guess they were kind of like dividers in an area of the neighborhood that had like a natural um you know it wasn't like a swamp but it was a natural like um I don't know what it's called I guess I guess uh um oh, like swamp a meadowlands yeah, yeah like swamp kind of works I fall I yeah, yeah. Like a natural way for the water to go and, you know, for it to enter into nature and blah, blah, blah. You know, they wanted to kind of go over it and pave it and um, everyone did not want that. Uh, they went to, and this was like, you know, you, you don't really think about how many people would go to like city council meetings and things like that. But every, you know, people went, he went, you know, and they still didn't, they were like, no, we're going to, we're going to put in the cement. And he's like, you're going to make me run for mayor, aren't you? And, uh, and he, he ran. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I, I think, uh, the governor thing kind of came up, uh, pretty similarly. He was on, um, he had a, a morning radio show, I believe, at the time, and, uh, he was talking about politics, and, you know, he offhandedly mentioned, you know, man, if I ran, you know, I wonder if blah, blah, blah. And then obviously everyone was like, yeah, you should run. <laughs> so. Well, I think we all, you know, we joke, well, it's not a joke anymore. I mean, his success, uh, President Tr- Trump becoming president, I, I think we've got to stop joking about celebrities and, you know what I'm saying, becoming political officers. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there for a while it just seemed like anybody, you know, you could attach anybody's name should run for president. We don't really know the person, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we just see the character they play in a movie or a TV or whatever. It's just amazing how the the culture has changed and become more accepting of yeah. non-career politicians, I guess is what I was going to say. Nicely. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, Ronald Reagan was a, was an actor too. So, you know, you never know. I mean, it's, it, I think, uh, I think you're right though. It's, it's interesting to see how people perceive you on a TV show or in a movie. And then they kind of attach that to the actual person without realizing that there could be a difference between, you know, even on reality TV, you're playing a persona. Um, it might not necessarily reflect how you are in real life. 
Yeah, which it gets interesting at times, but we'll we'll leave that one there. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to shift gears with you for a minute, totally off the hep subject because well we'll get back to it though I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> I I noticed you're into I want to say art, but I don't want to I don't want to disparage what you do if you don't want to call it that. No, that's fine. Yeah, make yeah, it making I, stuff and creative yeah. stuff. So talk to me mm-hmm. about that stuff. What I mean, what do you actually do? I mean, I have the page open in front of me, but that doesn't do my listeners any good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah, I, I paint. Um, I also uh, redo furniture. I, I have um, handmade jewelry that I sell online. Um, I actually sell that on Amazon. Um, I started uh, just the, the company is uh, Hobbs Superior Handmade Supply. Um, but um, And then I do like some custom orders. But it's more, for me, It's it was always a creative outlet, you know, a hobby. Um something I enjoyed doing, you know, uh, some people work out to alleviate stress. I, I like painting. So, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it became more and more of a, a part of my life, especially after my daughter was born because it was something that we could do together. And, um, you know, also it's, I feel good just going kind of uh kind of related to the book topic a little bit i uh, i like uh saving um you know all that old uh wood furniture or or furniture that people are looking to just take to the dump and um you know i like to repaint it and give it another life and you know um still find use in it uh so that that's kind of like my little eco-friendly <laughs> part of the part of the business but most most of the furniture pieces that i i paint or things that um you know need a little uh, fixing up uh prior to being painted yeah well you're not going to save the world but you're good i mean you're doing something at least yeah, that way. yeah. And, and something that you like too it's not like you're just doing it because uh i shouldn't let this yeah. get to the landfill i just gotta go you know pick something up and do something <laughs> else with it yeah i mean you know it's it's um it, it's always interesting too because you know i'll bring these things home and um the family members will be like, what are you going to do with that? And then they see it when it's finally done and it, and, you know, it's a complete total transformation. It looks nothing the way that it did before. So it's it always, uh, it's always interesting too, to see people's reactions. Totally random story. I'm going to tell you here, but it does tie back to this. Um, I worked at a secondhand store for a while and a gentleman walked in and, and started really looking at this dresser, like, you know, fanatically looking at this dresser. So I walked over and asked him if I can help him. And he says, yes, I want to buy this one. I'm like, okay, why? I've, I've, like, I've seen you study it more than an average person looks at a dresser. And he's like, okay, I'll tell you because you asked why I did that. And I said, okay. He pulls the drawer out and he shows me how the dovetail in the corner of the drawer went. Mm-hmm. His grandfather made those. Oh, wow. He um Worked, it was during the 30s, during the Depression, in Canada. Mm-hmm. But they were depressed up there, too. And the, this company only made, I want to say, a thousand pieces, like a thousand dressers during the, the 30s while his, his grandfather worked there. He ended up buying the company because the company went out of business in the 40s, or was going out of business. So these pieces that his grandfather made, he wanted to, you know, he has been looking for them, obviously. Mm. And he wants to buy them for his kids and grandkids. He wants to get something, you know, a family heirloom for all of them right but there's only so many of them and like i said 
I don't live in Canada. I live in Pennsylvania. And he heard about this piece from, you know, he's got people out there, you know, he networks of people. And he, he came down, he lives in Canada. He came down on a hunch because the person said it might be, but he didn't really know. It looked right. Mm-hmm. I just like the commitment to drive three hours to come look at a, a dresser. Wow. That might, yeah. might be or might not be. Can you imagine this appointment if you get there and it's not what you're looking for? Yeah. But yeah. there it is. And he says, so that, that's number 14 that he's bought. And he's still oh looking for gosh. a couple more. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And I'm that's like, really incredible. The thing, you know, cause I, I don't want to, you know, rip apart what you're doing, but how many people, you know, they, you know, just threw them out or people took yeah. them and flipped them or. Right. Right. You know, and the I numbers mean, are dwindling is... by the day with these old pieces of furniture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, they always say, oh, they don't make them that way anymore, but they really don't. <laughs> oh, I no. Mean, like, this thing weighed a ton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, they, these, these will throw out your back if you try and move it by yourself. I mean, just a chair. Like, yeah. <laughs> doesn't have to be a desk. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, these are, you know, these are things too that they were built to last, which is, you know, it's also sad when you say, oh yeah, people might just throw them out. But, you know, it's just, ugh, these things are, you know, a, a lot of that furniture, man, it's, it's stuff that you can pass on and, uh, can stay in your family for, for generations. So I'm sure some of that stuff will be in his family for, you know, the foreseeable future, which is a great, I mean, a great task in of itself to know that and then figure it out, go back through the records and try and then try to piece it all together. Mm. I, I, I hope he managed to get all the stuff that he wanted. I mean, but just phenomenal to think about that he even got 14. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. That's like a life mission right there. Yeah. You know? Like checking secondhand stores and the internet and. It's got to, it almost probably consumes him. Like, well, hey, I guess we all have our <laughs> yeah our driving prob- topic. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, man, that's uh, that's definitely a passion, you know. <laughs> so uh, the other thing, okay. So you you mentioned doing publicity stuff, and I'm not. I don't want to get too far into that with you because obviously we're on the show, and that's a whole other can of worms. But my 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 interesting part of it is. Because I'm in that game, but I'm on the other side of that game. Like, I'm always getting the, the emails, not necessarily from those, that level of people, but there's that next tier of people that are just out there just trying to, how difficult is that? I mean, from your end, not my end, because I know how difficult it is for me to figure out, because you know, when you get a mailing list, you just start popping those out to people and you don't necessarily. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, um, it, it, it can be pretty difficult, um, you know, because you have to think about, too, uh, just different pitches that would make sense for different types of shows, you know, um, because, you know, you got you kind of have to think about whoever your client is and, um, you know, all the different aspects of what it is that they're doing or selling or trying to get out there to the world. And, uh, you know, it, it, the same pitch is not going to work for every show. And then obviously if one show covered it in a certain way, the next, you know, big show probably won't want to. So it's, it's constantly trying to come up with, um, new and, and inventive ways to get the word out and to make it relevant. And then you, you pro- probably have dealt with somebody. We won't name names. So there's, there's somebody, I'm sure there's somebody in the history of you doing this because you've been doing it for a while that they want the Today Show, Good Morning America, you know, the, okay. And, but you can, you pitch them, hey, I got you on the Mallory Report. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. Um, when I first got into publicity, I, I worked for this um, book publishing company. It's still around uh, called Watson Guptal. Uh, it was sold to uh, Random House. And um, when I was there, it was... Uh, I worked with the, I mean, it was a wide range of different genres, but it was um, art-based, so a lot of different, you know, how to craft different things type of books, you know, knitting and sewing and all sorts of different crafting techniques. And then um, there's also music and, um, uh, like, music uh, bi- biographies and autobiographies and, you know, different uh, singers. And... Um, it was, uh, and then there was like stuff up for Broadway, you know, so it was like, uh, it was a mix of the arts, arts and entertainment. And I remember there was this one author, author that I worked with who, uh, it was, she did a, uh, photography book. It was a phenomenal book about how to, um, color in old photos mm. with, um, and it was really interesting, but she was convinced it was a book that Oprah would want to discuss and would want to have her on and um at a certain point you just have to be like well i sent her the book Uh, i haven't heard back (laughs) you know like you can't that's something where you know you got to have realistic expectations watch the show you know kind of see what uh what they usually cover on the show um you know so it's uh yeah sometimes you get people that um that do have some very unrealistic expectations um, and then sometimes, um, you know, books that you think, oh yeah, I can definitely get this on the Today Show or whatever, you, you're surprised that, you know, they're not interested. Um, so it's, it's, a lot of it's not up to me. Um, you know, it's up to the news cycle and, um, who's looking at, who's reading it, <laughs> you know, um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that go into it. So last question on this topic, because, you know, like I said, I want to get too deep into it with you here. Uh, publicly, because I want all the good secrets for me. But um, <laughs> is it, uh, I always tell myself that a we're not interested is better than not hearing anything at all. Yeah, I I agree because um, sometimes you don't know if it goes into spam um, or if they they're just been they've been so busy and they didn't have time to open it. You know, which is always a possibility. Um, and then that way too, if I get like, I'm not interested, then I know to take that person off the list and I won't continue to send them the same pitch. Um, so just hearing back from someone is good because I can at least cross that person off the list and say, oh, I tried, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've, instead of continuing to annoy that person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could continue. Never mind. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so bringing it back around to, Let's go to marijuana because I we we could both agree hemp should I mean you said it's federally legal it's a great product we should be we're all for it mm-hmm. now marijuana has a stigma because you can get high and all that stuff do we are we trucking towards legalization across the United States are we still going to have states that hold out no matter how many other states and there's still I'm I'm just going to put a number on I don't know ten states that are just going to be hell no we won't go no matter what. Or do you think we'll ever see it all 50? Well, um, my theory behind it is I don't think we're going to see all 50. I don't, I don't think we're going to see federal. I mean, I could be wrong, you know, because well, I, I, I think we're at that point where you know, we can all be wrong. I, yeah, I could be completely wrong because uh, I didn't think the federal government was going to, you know, actually put in this, you know, hemp legalization in the in the farm bill. I thought 
you know, it was going to be a bargaining ship and it was never going to happen. So I was shocked that it did. Um, so, you know, my thought is the federal government probably is not going to legalize marijuana until it gets to a point where, like, almost all 50 states have legalized it in some way, because then they're going to be like, oh, crap, we have to now figure out how this is all going to work, because everyone has different laws and different regulations, and it's such a huge industry, and, oh, yeah, we're missing out on all, you know, like, regulating this properly. There's different regulations in each state. And, um, that, you know, I think that that's what's going to happen. It's going to get to this, you know, I guess kind of like boiling point and they'll kind of be forced to, to do something. Um, but I do feel that there are going to be some states that hold out to the bitter end. And the reason why is because, um, there have been states that are still holding out on hemp which is really astounding to me. So um, when the Farm Bill was passed, um, the uh, what the federal government did was they took it off of the Schedule One narcotic list. So every aspect of hemp is now considered an agricultural product, which means it can be it can move across state lines. Um, farmers can get crop insurance. They can open bank accounts. They can conduct business normally, just as any other business would. Um, and, uh, you know, they still have to apply for permits to grow it, and um, that varies, the, that process varies by state. But uh, what the federal government did was they turned it over to the states, and they said, okay, so for 2019, come up with your own, uh, you know, stipulations, what kind of program you want to see within these particular guidelines that we have set out in the you know, 2018 Farm Bill, so that way you can, you know, become compliant with it. And then uh, we're going to roll out our federal guidelines at the end of 2019. So by 2020, all that is set for the growing season. So um, what South Dakota uh, recently did was um, the governor over there decided uh, not to legalize hemp in the state. Um the uh, the state legislature put together all their you know the hemp laws for South Dakota and she vetoed the bill and uh, you know hemp and marijuana are considered the same exact thing in South Dakota so there was a a case actually last month where someone uh, flew in to South Dakota with CBD hemp oil and when they were trying to fly back um, to Alaska that person was actually arrested um, and charged with marijuana possession because they don't differentiate between hemp and marijuana and the same thing in in, uh, Idaho actually Um, in Idaho it's even worse because um, you know they're surrounded by states that have already legalized hemp so you know if you're in like Oregon and you have a hemp farm and you want to send the hemp over to a processing center in Colorado um, by a truck, you know, just have a truck transport it like a, you know, a semi truck. That's absolutely legal federally. Um, but if you cross over into Idaho uh, and you get pulled over, you get charged with trafficking marijuana through the state of Idaho and that's happened as well there's actually a couple of uh, truckers that are now um, you know going they're going to have to go to court for that 
actually. So um, it's just really interesting. And the reason for both states mm-hmm. is that they're, they are under the impression that um, hemp legalization is going to increase, um, you know, the amount of marijuana in their state, and they are vehemently against that. So they're going to hold out for as long as humanly possible, which is really a shame because both of those states depend on their agricultural community. That is their primary source of income. So it's really, it, it, you know, the farmers are sitting here going, what is going on? Um, and uh, it's really, it's not, obviously it's not doing anyone any good. But, um, yeah, I really do think that we could get to that point where there's just going to be a couple of states just, you know, putting their heads in the ground. Well, thankfully, at least they're not tourist destinations. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it's never, you know, we talked, kind of, we laughed about, you know, government and stuff earlier, but there it is again. I mm-hmm. mean, just poking its head in the sand and saying, everybody else, until we figure this out, we can't. Ugh. Anyways, some days I'll, I'll figure this out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it just also doesn't make any sense because, you. I mean, you look at Canada, they've had, you know, as we were talking about before, they've had hemp um, since, you know, 1998, and they've had a, you know, that's been a big part of their economy. Um, it didn't mean that everyone in Canada who bought hemp products was also illegally smoking marijuana, like that it had no... <laughs> had zero correlation between the two. So, um, you know, obviously these people are not even interested in in researching before they make up their minds, which is really a shame because, you know, this is the the government <laughs> that is deciding your laws for you. Um, so it's just it's just insane to me. Um, you know, a very simple just Google search would would um, you know, greatly help. <laughs> In these scenarios. So Jen Hobson's on the, or Hobbs is on the record as saying buying a hemp rope does not make you a marijuana smoker. <laughs> Unrelated. <laughs> Unrelated. <laughs> Unrelated. <laughs> not to say they're not exclusive, but they're not connected. Uh, yeah. Most of the I time. mean you could you could be both. It's you know, it's either or situation. But if but, you go to, um, but if you pick one up at the hardware store, you're not necessarily uh, looking to score on the way home. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a, it's not some kind of a, you know, a back door doesn't open in the hardware store and, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, I worry about people that think that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I like to ask guests this because I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't like to ask questions I don't know the answer to, but what, what's next? What are you working on now? Um, well, so next, really, uh, I've, I've been writing a, uh, a blog called uh, AmericanHemp.substack.com, and um, it's it, it's uh, essentially just updated information about um, you know laws um, and you know different studies uh, pertaining to hemp, and um, it's a it's in a subscriber base. So you know, every time I write one, uh, it gets emailed out. Um, and so that's like how people can, you know, stay up to date on topics in the book in particular, um, as, you know, some of these topics obviously get a little outdated. Um, that's going to be my way of kind of pushing out new information. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of been my focus there. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, 
other than that, you know, I'm just kind of, uh, you know, seeing how the book was just released. So just yeah, released last I, week. Yeah. So it's uh, you know, after to... I asked that question, I, I remembered. I'm like, oh yes, the book just literally. <laughs> the ink, well, the ink is probably dry, but not quite. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I should give you what two or three more days to figure this out next. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a day by day type of person. <laughs> no, but some people, some people have this list, you know, this mighty list of things they want to do, and they they can sit there and tell you. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I want for lunch tomorrow. And you're telling yeah. me you want to write this book and that book and that book and do this and go there. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way, you know, um, one thing at a time. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's the books has really literally been out for a week now. So <laughs> it's uh, it's been uh, pretty much a, a time consuming part of my life <laughs> so, uh, trying to get the word out as much as possible. I, I was just going to ask, which was which is more difficult, getting the word out about the book or putting the book together? Oh, that's a really tough question. Um, well, I pretty much knew what I wanted to write. So, um I would say the the hard part about putting the book together was um, I had everything done and ready to hand into the publisher, and um, there were a couple things that you know I was kind of waiting out to see what would happen, and one of them was the 2018 farm bill, <laughs> which was passed in um, December and uh, I was uh, supposed to hand in my manuscript to the publisher at the end of December so you know I kind of had to go back and furiously rewrite a lot of the book so um, that was uh, kind of unexpected for me but I think um, you know doing doing a lot of interviews does uh, it, it does get pretty tiring um i've always been the person that sets them up for people you know i don't usually give them so it's it's definitely a a change for me (laughs) uh to be on the receiving end and uh you know see uh see how long i can talk for and not get tongue-tied and you know remember to say the right things uh that the points that i want to get across so i don't know i guess uh yeah i guess maybe doing the interviews is a little bit more more difficult for me just from a, I guess a uh, uh, experience standpoint <laughs> yeah I follow you I get what you're saying I've, tr- I've tried to keep you light and airy and on point so at least that's going for you for now I appreciate it no no really <laughs> I mean <laughs> it's it's hard when uh, the, the other person just um, you know asks a very broad and in-depth question I'm like oh man this is going to take a while to explain <laughs> But you, I mean, then there's I guess there's the difference in shows though too, where you feel some shows you get, you you've probably done those uh, local radio hits or wherever they give you ten minutes, mm-hmm. and the, the, the host asks a good question and you want to spend the bulk of the time answering that question, but you know if you do, you're not going to get anything else out. Right, right, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to condense too at the same time with a lot of this information. And meanwhile, I'm sitting over here going, just keep talking. I don't care. No, <laughs> not that I don't care. I guess I shouldn't have said it that way, but I, I give you the more liberty of not worrying about being up against the clock or any of that other fun stuff. So, but anyways, so is there any talking points there that you I missed along the way that you have? Mm, um, not really. I mean, okay. we touched on a lot of we touched on a lot of it. Um, That's good. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you, you, I start to prepare and I over prepare and no, like as the interview starts to unfold, you realize that I missed like a big portion of what I should have went into. But I'm glad to hear that I did okay today. <laughs> so now I, I've got a few of these um, random questions to end this, wrap this up, so we don't have to end so heavy because we did a good job getting the topic out. So. You're, now that you're done, maybe now it's the perfect time to ask this since you don't know what you're doing next. So where's your dream vacation? My dream vacation. Oh, man. Um, that's a good question. There's a lot of places that I still well, have on my list. Okay. Well, you so, don't have to pick one. Give me, you can throw out a few. I'll be, I'll be generous with you and you can pick out a couple. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've never been over to, I mean, Japan or China or, you know, Singapore or Taiwan or, you know, there's a whole region of the earth I've never uh, experienced before. So that's definitely uh, uh, towards the top of the list. Now, you, you may find this fascinating. It fascinates me. So just uh, for years, as you look at the download statistics, it's United States, United Kingdom, Canada. Mm-hmm. United States, you're in the United, United Kingdom and Canada can flip back and forth. They're pretty close, but the United States obviously is the bulk. In the last year and a half, two years, Japan has leaped in the second, a firm second, above those other two. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Nothing that I've intentionally done to camp campaign market to those two there. It's just been the same marketing. But <clears> it's really, at least for me, I'm, I've talked to some other people and they've said they've noticed a rise, but it hasn't been as significant. So I don't know. Just hmm, for the record. Yeah, something yeah that's interesting. So maybe you should go. Maybe you should take some of the books with you and yeah. hop on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's, who's your favorite author? Hmm. Well, I like a lot of fiction. Um, I, Joyce Carol Oates is definitely up there. Toni Morrison. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I guess really uh, a lot of different fiction writers Um when I have the time to read for pleasure, that's really uh, what I enjoy reading. So it's been a, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's uh, the the point of you know when you're researching this book and trying to stay in that zone, um, it's hard to really make the time for you know personal reading. But um, yeah, maybe that's my next step after after the book tour. Go somewhere quiet, read read a couple books. <laughs> no, I mean, you said researching, but did you write daily? Do you have the, the madness where you have to write daily, or did you just pick and choose as the moment struck you, or what's your um, process? Try, well, um, I try as, to write daily as much as I can. Um, you know, depending on the, the topic uh, for this book in particular, some of the days was really spent gathering a lot of the research and um, kind of sifting through it and deciding what I wanted to include and how I wanted to explain it because um, a lot of these scientific studies aren't written in, you know, very straightforward English. So, um, you know, it was kind of coming up with how do I explain this in a way that makes sense um, and isn't boring. So, you know, that, that kind of was uh, pretty, t- you know, a big part of the process, but um, yeah, I, I, I like to when I'm when I have a book project, I do want to at least be writing five days a week and re- write researching five days a week. I believe no, this is probably going to bite me when I mention this. Uh, Nick Redfern told me he writes in the morning. He writes eight to noon every day, mm-hmm. and then shuts it off. No matter how bad or good, it just sits there and writes. 
mm-hmm. and then shuts it off and then goes and does some research or whatever. I mean, life take takes wherever life takes him, and then starts up the next day. And he said, yeah. it, it, some days it's hard to swip that switch off, but you have to because if you sit there and write until midnight, the next day you're going to wake up and not want to touch it again. Right. Right. Yeah, you do have to find your own balance. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I guess mine was really kind of doing it, uh, doing as much research in the morning, um, and really kind of plugging it in. Um, but yeah, I would probably, most days I would stop around, uh, like two thirty, three o'clock. Um, just because, you know, you really do need to give your brain a little bit of rest. <laughs> Because uh, it is it is a pretty intensive process, and it is easy to get swept into it, and you know, really continue to write like that. But um, yeah, I mean, you could really get burnt out pretty quickly by doing that. Next, real fun, real fun question here. One historical event you can witness, but I can't have you shooting somebody or taking, you know, changing history. What was that? I'm sorry. One historical event that you can witness, but I can't have you shooting somebody or changing history. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh, you're taking the fun out of it. Yeah. Um, one historical event I'd like to, I don't know. Um, that's a tough one. I've never really thought about it like that before. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, the, really, that caveat really does change what you're thinking about because obviously there's moments we could all think of instantly that we'd go change history or try, attempt. Oh to change yeah, history. I mean, even in our own lives, you think about man, if I could go back and change that one little thing. Um, it's kind of hard being the observer and not not uh, really changing anything. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be cool to to go and see what a dinosaur actually looks like. That'd be kind of neat. Um, so yeah. maybe, yeah. Maybe there that. There you go. I, I, that is a fun one. I haven't heard that one before, but that is that that would be fun until you got yeah, just out of curiosity. <laughs> do they look the way on. they are in Jurassic Park, or you know, are they completely? You know, do they sound that way? Is that really the way that their skin looks? I don't know. So that would be kind of interesting that to see if fun. we're if we're right or if we're completely off. That would be fun to picture that and be there. So what what type? I, this is my favorite question of these to ask. What what type of music are you into? What's on the? I don't. I hate to use the expression iPod, but you know it. It transcends whatever device you're listening on. Yeah, I I have a really broad, uh, I guess, taste in music. Um, I mean, it's it's a pretty big range. Um, I mean, everything from like, uh, you know, uh, punk. Metal, R and B, hip hop, you know, um, EDM. Like it's a, it's a wide, pretty wide range. It just depends, I guess, on my mood and what I'm doing. Is there any one like vein of like? Is it strong? I don't know. Mm. Because I, I, you know, I, I'm thinking like more pop music, more you know, the other sides of those things. Like there's a because some people like the strong lyrics or the just the yeah, I, yeah, or... it's it completely depends on my mood. Sometimes I'm really into, um, you know, the lyrics, uh, and then sometimes I just want to listen to something that's fun and catchy. So, you know, it really, uh, it really does depend on, you know, what I'm what I'm feeling at the moment. Um, so, I mean, I listen to like uh, some Broadway, you know, 
original music to like um you know just some of the plays that i've enjoyed seeing um like you know i haven't actually seen hamilton but that's like the, the that soundtrack itself is incredible yes um yes it is my daughter has become obsessed with it as well we've never seen the play as well but i've uh, every time we're in the car if she's in the car it's on um yeah yeah, it's it's bad. I mean, I mean, it's good. It's really good, but it's getting really bad because you yeah. Know, after, oh no, I, after I the understand. Millionth time you hear it, it's yeah. <laughs> I have a four-year-old, so you know, there's plenty of things that uh, I've been that that get stuck in my head that I would much rather not <laughs> listen to myself. So I understand. So Jed, thank you. A uh, go, everybody, go check out American Hemp because we're uh, we're out of time. So thank you again for doing this. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Really flew by. Talk, I'll talk. I'll get you soon. All right. Take care, Jim. Thanks again. And that's Jen Hobbs. Amazing stuff here. I just wow. That really did fly by. I didn't anticipate ending that 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 abruptly because even that just kind of. Views and opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. For past shows, social media links, and so much more, visit Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. And thanks for listening. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.